Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Hey, all It's Jesse, the host of Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. Maybe you have heard of me. A quick announcement. We're really excited to share it with you. We're going to be doing a very special live episode of Bullseye. It's going to be Friday, February 15th at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. What are you going to see if you go to Portland, Oregon to see this show? You will see me live on stage talking with folks like Corin Tucker from Slater Kinney, director Lance Bangs, writer Bill Oakley, Simpsons legend. Uh, we will also have live music from Roseblood and live comedy from Katie Wen. It's going to be a blast and a half. It's also part of a big podcast festival called Listen Up Portland. Tons of other great podcasts are playing at it, too. Our pals, the Doughboys, among others. So, again, that's Friday, February 15th at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, 7 p.m. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at listenupportland.com. And thanks. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. On The Unbreakable Kenny Schmidt, Titus Burgess plays a struggling Broadway actor. He's desperately needy, demanding both attention and money from the show's title character. He sings at the drop of a hat. He is transparently conniving and manipulative. But he's also sweet and charming and lovable. He shows his tough past and his lonely circumstances. He's a real friend. That warmth comes from my guest Titus Burgess. Burgess was himself a struggling Broadway actor many moons ago, living in a basement apartment in Harlem, just like his character on TV. Though I'm sure he didn't take in any women escaping from underground sex cults like his character on the show. Here's a scene from the first episode. Kimmy Schmidt, played by Ellie Kemper, has moved to New York and moved in with Titus. But she is completely naive. She's never lived in the big city. She also, as I mentioned before, just got out of an underground sex cult. In this scene, she's devastated because her backpack got stolen. And in it was her life savings. Get your things and go home. New York City is not for you. You don't understand. Oh, I do understand. But Titus... Girl, my name is not Titus. My name is Ronald Wilkerson. I came here in 1998 on a damn bus from Chickasaw County, Mississippi. You know who leaves Chickasaw County? Nobody. Have you ever met a person from Mississippi? No, but I haven't met anybody. My point is... This was me then. I was cute, just like you. Show my teeth when I smile, just like you. I changed my name to Titus Andromedon, and I marched myself into audition for The Lion King. You were in The Lion King on Broadway? Yes, except I was not. I auditioned for The Lion King 20 times in 15 years, until they finally told me you were not passing as a straight giraffe. But you are such a good singer, I heard you. I have not sung in public in three years. You want to know what I do now? I dress up in that robot costume in Times Square and I pass out flyers for an arcade. My boss is 17 years old, I get paid in quarters, and I'm starting to think cab drivers are hitting me on purpose. Well, you got out of Mississippi. Escaping is not the same as making it, Kimmy. I'm very scared to ask you this. Yes, there was weird sex stuff in the bunker. Let me finish. How much money was in your backpack? $13,000. Titus Burgess, welcome to Bullseye. It is really great to have you on the show. 
<laughs> Thank you so much, Jesse. There's a lot going on in that scene. Uh, I, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, you know, there are obvious parallels in this character's life and yours, um, although I, I hope that you're not quite as sort of venal as Titus on, uh, on Unbreakable is. But um, I, I want to start with where you're from. You're not from Mississippi, but you are from outside Athens, Georgia. Uh, I am. I, I wonder if you could tell me about, you know, wh- where you're from and, and just kind of the circumstances of your childhood. Uh, let's see. Uh, you got that correct. I was uh, born in Athens, Georgia, but lived outside of Athens, Georgia in a little town called Winterville for most of my life. Um, my family, everyone's still there. I'm the only oddball that decided to um, pick up and move to New York. Um, I was raised in a very large extended family, lots and lots and lots of first cousins, but I'm an only child. But most of my upbringing was uh, me by myself entertaining myself and entertaining my family and whatnot. You know, it's a familiar story. I'm sure uh, other entertainers have experienced this sort of um, self-talent cultivation kind of thing. Where did you say, where did you say? Oh, church. Uh, my my mom could sing. So we would do little duets uh, at church all the time. And the church was deep, deep, deep into the woods uh, in Stevens, Georgia, this long, winding dirt road. And um takes about 40 minutes off of the, the main highway to get to. And um, that is where most of my um, past points of references in, in, in terms of my root, musical roots uh, started. And um, that's uh, that's what we would do. And, and I would listen to her sing, and she would play her Natalie Cole albums. And who else did she listen to? Luther Vandross, of course, Whitney Houston. And uh, I would just sort of sing along with her and all those albums. And uh, that's that's how I kind of developed my musical tastes, I would say. When you were like a middle schooler or a teenager, did you think of yourself as gay? Oh yeah, yeah. I I knew in in uh, elementary school, buddy, I, I, very early on. Uh, I I I knew that I liked uh, men, boys, but I didn't know that that's what it was called. Uh, I just knew I had zero interest in girls outside of playing jump rope with them. I wonder, like, what did you know about what that meant? Even even when you were more sophisticated, you know, even when you're 16 or 15 or 16 or something like that. I knew that that meant that it did not follow the model that uh, was set for us in this country, particularly, uh, you know, where anything other than friendly feelings was, um, you know, frowned upon. I knew that... that uh, you know, all of my peers had little girlfriends or whatever. My my guy friends all had girlfriends, and and I never did, and I never attempted to, I never tried to, and I never wanted to. Uh, I wanted to be close to them, but I don't know that I thought that I had to call it something um, until I began to express it more, and was then told. Subsequently, that this is an incorrect way to live. Do you understand what I'm saying? Did you know anyone uh, in real life who was out? Yeah, yeah. I knew a lot of people. I had a couple of gay friends uh, in in middle school. We were out to each other, but not out in the world. Um, I did not know anyone who was out 
to anyone else other than their friends. But I can honestly say I was never in. It was not something that I ever hid. I may not have talked about it, but I, my, my folks knew I was gay. And uh, my mom tried to talk and, and scripture it out of me. But I've always marched to the beat of my own drum. And, and it wasn't out of um, being rebellious, but rather I didn't know how else to be. This was just the way it was for Titus. Uh, in fact, I thought it odd that other people were not as quick to follow their own instincts. I would overhear these adults having conversations about different choices that they were trying to make or whatever. And I'm just thinking, why is it so difficult for you to just do what the hell you want to do? Like, come on. Like, it's not that deep. So I don't know that I ever thought it was an issue. I realized that other people took issue with it. And I thought something was wrong with them. I want to play a clip from uh, of you performing one of your first big roles on Broadway. Uh, you were in a, a revival of Guys and Dolls. And I'm I'm going to say 2009. Does that sound right to you? That's correct. And um, you sang one of the signature songs from the show, and it's you know one mm-hmm. of the one of the great shows. And you got to perform it on the Tony Awards. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> well, let's take a listen to it a little bit, and I'll say ahead of time, as you listen to my guest Titus Burgess performing "Sit Down, You're Rocking the Boat" on the 2009 Tonys. Your radio isn't broken, and neither is our clip playing back equipment. It happened to me kind of funny. Kind of like a dream. Am I going in with it? I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. And by some chance, I had brought my dice along. And there I stood, and I hollered, someone save me. But the passengers, they know right from wrong. Um, a, what a nightmare. Yeah, I, uh, we hear someone, oh, literally over the TV audio somehow, uh, bringing in a microphone uh, to cover for the fact that the microphone that was on your body was, as we heard, sounding awful. Yeah. Uh, could you hear... That it wasn't working? Yeah. Yeah, well, let me tell you this. I had this feeling. Okay, when I so I had to wear this fat suit. I was a lot smaller in those days, uh, and I could feel the mic pack. I could feel through the suit, and I could feel that it was not secure. But I've never been to Radio City. Maybe this is a different device. Maybe, uh, or at the time I had never been. You know, so 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 maybe I didn't know what I was talking about. So I didn't say anything. But I had a feeling that this thing was not all the way plugged in. And when it started, I thought my worst nightmare has come true. And also, when you do the Tonys, your dress rehearsal is filmed just in case there are technical difficulties when it airs live. So I thought, oh, well, clearly they have transferred over to our recorded rehearsal for the people at home. And the continuation of this performance is strictly for the people inside Radio City Music Hall. It wasn't until I got uh, finished with the performance and 
got my phone out and had all these missed calls and texts and such and people were like oh my god what happened to your microphone or whatever and then i freaked out i I wasn't nervous while it was happening i freaked out after the fact more from my conversation with titus burgess after a quick break we'll chat about the line between stereotype and commentary it's bullseye for maximumfun.org and npr this message comes from npr sponsor rei REI believes that a life outdoors is a life well-lived, and they have for 80 years. So check out their podcast, Wild Ideas Worth Living, for inspiring stories of people and taking the road less traveled. Hear from explorers, athletes, authors, and experts in the field. Follow how they're taking wild ideas and making them a reality every day. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Maria Hinojosa, and next time on Latino USA, we're joined by Gina Rodriguez, the award-winning actress and star of the show, Jane the Virgin. She talks to us about how growing up in a Puerto Rican family in Chicago made her the performer she is today. And she talks about new projects like her upcoming film, Miss Bala. That's next time on Latino USA. Hello, this is Amy Mann. And I'm Ted Leo. And we have a podcast called The Art of Process. We're talking about how the creative process is in itself an art form, in our opinion. There are underlying forms and structures that serve as a scaffolding for any creative endeavor. We've been lucky enough over the past year to talk to some of our friends and acquaintances from across the creative spectrum to find out how they actually work. We weirdly don't know as many musicians as you would expect. New episodes will be coming every other Monday. Starting January 28th. So please... Please listen and subscribe at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Titus Burgess. He's been nominated four years in a row for an Emmy for his performance as Titus Andromedon on the show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt's last six episodes just dropped on Netflix. You know, you mentioned the way that uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt has tried to engage with the um, the kind of cultural breadth of New York, which is its center. And that is one of the themes of the show being is that the protagonist is a woman who uh, comes from almost an absence of culture, not because she's like a traditional Midwestern uh, naive, but more because she lived in an underground bunker for eight years. Right, um, she was removed from culture. Sure, and so yeah, so she doesn't know anything about the world, and and she's in New York, this place that is a you know a cauldron of a thousand cultures. As you as you alluded to, um, that has been you know slightly problematic because it's hard to write about those things when you're writing a big show like this, you know, a big broad cartoony jokey show. It's hard to muscle in the specificity that's required, but. I think it's the show's done a really interesting job of using that kind of specificity and using the arc of the season to transform stereotypes into commentary. And one of the smaller instances of that uh, on a timescale, something that we can make a clip of, is this this arc for your character where he has been working at a theme restaurant uh, mm-hmm. And it's like a Broadway theme restaurant, and he his character is a werewolf, um, and 
so he has been he doesn't take off his costume after work one day um and he's sort of lurching around the city uh and uh, yeah let's let's take a listen to Titus Burgess on on the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt so how's your day walking around New York dressed like a werewolf got weird I was just waving. I didn't do anything. Nice day, officer. Can you hold my baby? I got treated better as a werewolf than I ever did as a black man. <laughs> it's it's really it's something. <laughs> it's a great joke. It's a um, great joke. It's also, I mean, it's also a really unfortunately kind of a powerful. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, indeed. That's yeah. It's also kind of a powerful thing, you know. It is a powerful thing, buddy. Uh, the, but the, it's one of the reasons why I'm so proud of our show and uh, and the uh, sensitivity with which we handle uh, the the political uh, cultural climate uh, in this country. Uh, and uh, but I, I think I think it, they they are so smart about it. It's not heavy handed. And it, it, if you aren't really, really paying attention, it's just sort of like a drive-by. Well, that's a poor choice of words. Uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it just sort of zips past you. You know, you don't, you don't. Uh, they don't call attention to it, but they certainly talk about it. And um, it's really, it's handled with such care. But uh, that was a, that was a great episode. I, I loved that one. Do people talk to you about um, playing this character? That is, I mean, on the one hand so big and broad and jokey as everything on the show is mm-hmm. um but also that represents a real specific group of people to which you know in in real life you also belong and does it in a way that there there hasn't been a lot of representation there elsewhere. hasn't been a lot of representation that has treated us like real human beings capturing both uh, our eccentricities as well as the subtle parts of all of us that make us uh, most human and um, so I, I you know I certainly am not uh, desirous of of hoping to walk around being um, praised and lauded for pioneering or anything strange like that um, but I I am excited that um, I can hold my head up and and be proud of um, the work that we're doing and that that uh, it represents um, a part of my culture um, ignored. Uh, there aren't a lot of gay out black men that are talked about on television, let alone celebrated. So I, I think um, this is... It treats it with sensitivity. I think it's smart, and I think it. Um, I think she captured it it wonderfully. I really do. We've come to the portion of our interview where we talk about Pinot Noir. Oh Lord! <laughs> um, it's one of the best things, uh, basically. Um, I think we'll take a listen to it. So basically, uh, the plot of this particular episode of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is that your character, whose name is Titus, and my guest is also named Titus, Titus Burgess, um, 
is making a low-budget music video trying to go viral and jumpstart his career. Um, uh, this song is called Pinot Noir, um, and he is of the belief that when one is making songs, the lyrics are not important as long as they rhyme. Does your character's signature song from season one uh, make you more or less likely to order Pinot Noir when out and about? <laughs> I try not to do it in front of people because I, just, I mean, I just, <laughs> I, I, I don't like a lot of attention. That's how Titus and myself differ. I'm very introverted, and I don't. I'm not very flashy, and I don't enjoy going out and. I just I don't I've never had I'd rather have you over to my house and I'd rather cook and play the piano and just hang out. Um, it's a deal. When when are we going to do that? You whenever you are, whenever you come to this coast, my friend. Um, but uh, I uh, I'll I I drank Pinot Noir before uh, this TV show and uh, and I rather enjoy it. So I usually will have my partner. Um, order it for me or you know uh or i'll just excuse myself and have have him order it or something like that just so because i don't want people to i don't want to seem presumptuous or and i certainly don't want um them to feel any bizarre obligation to you know give me a bottle on the house or something and also if they don't recognize me i certainly don't want to give them a reason to recognize me because i'd like to be left alone so i just kind of avoid it at all costs or try and sneak it in on the down low Titus Burgess, I really appreciate you taking the time to come be on Bullseye. It was really great to talk to you. I'm such a fan of uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and, and such a fan of yours. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. You can check out Titus Burgess and Carol Kane in the fourth and final season of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. The last six episodes are up on Netflix now. And what a lovely run it has been. We've come to the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is recorded at MaximumFun.org headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where our temporary producer, Ragu, saw some firefighters extinguishing a palm tree and an oven range in the park on his second day coming to Max Fun. Uh, he says that he has many, many, many questions. Uh, the show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He is away in Italy, so Ragu Manavalan filled in for him this week. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Production fellow at MaximumFun.org is Shana Deloria. We're actually hiring another production fellow. If you Google Maximum Fun Production Fellow, you will find the job listing. 
Our interstitial music comes from Dan Wally, a.k.a. DJW. Thanks, as always, to Dan for sharing it. Our theme music is Huddle Formation by the Go Team. Our thanks to the Go Team and to their label, Memphis Industries, who made that possible. And did you know that we have been making this show for 15 years? There are hundreds and hundreds of interviews available to you for free on our website at MaximumFun.org. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.